The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned of rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and he perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Joey Mills. I am from this presbytery. I used to be the worship leader at church over here. I'm a friend of Stacy's. You know, uh, Stacy, I met him probably about a year ago, and uh, we have gotten coffee a few times. And I visited this church the last couple of weeks, and he stands up here and he says, oh, reach out to me. I'd love to get to know you. And if you're like me and you're sitting at church, you're kind of like, uh, you're right, Pastor. Uh, but Stacy has done that with me. He's just kind of right, reached out and been a friendly guy. I've met some really sweet people already. So I'm excited to be with you and to teach the word. Let's pray and see what the Lord has for us in this text. Psalm 2. Please bow with me. Lord, you are our Lord. And we have all come here because we love hearing you speak to us. Your words are good and they're pure. And you promise that you will give us an open ear. And so please, Lord, give us an open ear so we might be blessed. And in being blessed, acknowledge that you are the Lord, the King of Kings. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This text is like pretty radical, right, when you hear it. But that opening question, why do the nations rage? You can hear when it's being asked, It's not being asked from a distance, right? It's like the psalmist is right in the midst, eye level, and it just burst out. Why do the nations rage? But not only that, as Lily was reading the text, if you're listening to it, you feel like immediately what? That's our question. Why do the nations rage? You can hear exhaustion in it. You hear this perplexity astonishment. And we say the question like this, what is going on out there? Has anybody felt that? You kind of watch the news and you're like, what's going on? Now the news, you go onto the news and the news says the world in a certain way, or it tells a certain story about it. And as you listen to it, it stokes 
stokes rage, right? Anne Stevenson, she's an American poet. She's got this poem called The Last, and she's writing about sitting before a TV set. And she says, the way you say the world is what you get. The words swim out to pin you in their net, lit up in sizzling and unfriendly news. <laughs> That's a pretty good description, right? What's going on out there? Psalm 2 is going to say the world another way. There's another story. It doesn't end with rage. It's rest, rest, refuge, blessedness. This is a good word. After that first question, really what unfolds as we're living through these times is, after where, what's going on, we say, where are we going? Where's this, where's this all going? What's our hope? What are we supposed to do? In Psalm 1, Psalm 2, they tell us about these two different ways, ways of blessedness and the way of perishing. And so this morning, I want to talk about the world's way. Where are we going? That's all, that'll be our first point. The king's way. What can we hope? Wisdom's way. What should we do? The world's way, king's way, and wisdom's way. So before we do that, I want to just understand a little bit about this psalm together. Psalm 1 and 2, last week, Brother Lee taught it for us. Psalm 1 and 2, they actually are a pair that introduce the psalms. They come together. They're both about blessedness. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man, right? Psalm 2 finishes, blessed are those. So Psalm 1 is going to be about the blessed individual that delights on the law. Psalm 2, then he's going to go and say, you know what? It's about the blessed community who lives with the law, but under the king, right? And then there's going to be two paths. You have the path of blessedness, or we might say it's, it's a life that is fruit-bearing. That's what we want. I want a fruitful life. Or we don't say that. We say, I want a life that flourishes or a meaningful life. Then the path of perishing. That's, that's the one that comes to empty deeds or vanity, like the psalmist says right here. So there's also something else we want to know about the psalm. What type of psalm is this? This is actually a royal psalm. There's different types of psalms. There's psalms of lament. There's psalms of praise. This is a royal psalm. And some royal psalms talk about the character of the king. But this one's going to talk about the claim the king has to the throne. And you know where they would read this? In Israel, they would read it when the king, they had like their inauguration day in Israel. And so it's called a coronation ceremony. And they would get up, they would read this and say, you're the rightful king and the Lord is with you. And this is what you're going to do. So it's, it's a royal psalm, but there's something special about this psalm. I think some of you might know, but maybe not, that we call this a messianic psalm. We say that Jesus is the Messiah. And the word Messiah just comes from the Hebrew word here in verse two, anointed, Mashiach. So we say, this is a messianic psalm. Well, what does that mean? It means there's a historical reference that we have, this first reference. This is at the coronation ceremony, but all of a sudden there's also a future reference. Because what happens in this psalm over the history with Israel is, well, first of all, the Messiah is, is called the anointed one. The anointed one is going to be the promised king who will rule the eternal kingdom that's over the whole earth. And we hear this like extravagant language here saying you'll possess all the earth. So there's that. But then you know what happened in Israel's history? Israel established with a king, but then because of disobedience, they go into captivity. They're in exile. But when they come out of exile, what happens? They still have this psalm. They've had it for a while. They're singing this psalm, but now they are a kingdom living under another king. 
Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And so they're reading this thing that's a promise to them. They're like, all of a sudden now it becomes a messianic royal psalm of hope. They're asking, where is this king? Where's the king? What's going on out there? But then what's really cool is this song gets taken up. Jesus comes, dies, rises from the dead, goes to heaven. The apostles are preaching in Acts 4. And they see Pilate and Herod coming against the church. And what do they pray? They pray Psalm 2. Why are the nations, why do people reject God's ways? So in Israel, living under a foreign king who doesn't take into account the God's laws. And then all of a sudden, early church. And now here, Nashville, late summer. We too. This is our question. Where's the king? What's going on out there? All right, so let's go into the first point. The world's way. What's going on out there? The first section is verses one through three. And basically, this is what we see. They say this. There's no king. And we are our own. That's what we're going to see. There's no king. These first three verses, we could kind of arrange it like this, going from verse two to three to one, is that the rulers set themselves, it says, against the Lord. And then in verse three, they have these words of freedom. Let's cast off their bonds. And that's what provokes this astonishment from the psalmist who's like, What's go- why did they do this? There's also another really kind of cool connection with Psalm 1 because this psalmist actually has a word that links the two together. And he, he starts with the first and he says, the blessed person comes, says, they are meditating on the law. Remember that? And on his law, he delights. He meditates and delights. Well, that word is hagah. On the law, he hagah. But then this one opens and says, why do the nations rage and hagah a vain thing? Why do they meditate on an, an empty thing? So one person's meditating on the law. The other people are, are meditating on something empty. And that brings out a whole world of difference. Basically, they say there's no king. Verse Verse two, they set themselves against the Lord. Now we know that when the king, historically the the reference first is when the king comes up on the throne, the nations are like, new king in town, let's get this guy out of here. And you know, they all start surrounding. There's gonna be a war right in the beginning. But also we see that the the apostles, right? They, They understood it, that people were resisting the ways of God. But Paul tells us this, they're resisting the law. What does Paul tell us about the law in our blessed little heart? It says, our hearts, are naturally in Romans 8 at war with the law of God. We don't like it. And notice it says, it's the Lord. They're against the Lord. Now we live in this time that's called the secular age. You hear this phrase a lot, but it's also called by sociologists and others, a post-secular age. It's not dominated by Christian beliefs like it had been for you know thousands of years, but people are still pretty religious. You know, you talk to people like most people are going to say like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. And they say, you know, it's like, with God, I get in touch with something spiritual. I get spiritual insight. Or if they kind of draw from the Bible, we say, um, you know, I believe in a loving God. And this loving God kind of like partners with you. He's there to help you out. He's, He's all for you. And both of these two modes, they do one thing. They preserve a space of freedom, right? But a king, oh, king, king's a little bit different. 
the king says this, I am the Lord, your creator, who made you out of my love to know you and, be, and that you would be blessed in a life by loving me. You guys are like, sounds great. Sounds kind of like the God part. I like that one. Ah. Then he goes on. I am the Lord, your God. You are mine. Obey me. Walk in my holy ways. It's like, you know the record? It's like, this is when God the king becomes a problem because he breaks into that precious sacred sphere of freedom for us. Because freedom for us is defined as being free from constraint in order to have freedom to create your life. Stay on out, I'll do my thing, you do yours, I'll do mine, and that's how it is. Or we talk about autonomy, right? We know this word. It's independence from a law that you don't recognize as your own. Now, in America, we have a constitution. So there's a lot of laws that I don't recognize as my own. I don't like everything. But in principle, we believe and acknowledge the constitutional law. And we hope that a democratic process will allow us to negotiate. And the democracy is like kind of the best thing we got going instead of having tyrants. But a king, King Jesus is different. We don't get to do like, can we do a recount on that whole be holy as I am holy thing? Like, can we talk about that? Can we, can we go back to that five books in the Bible? No, autonomy, autos namas, self-law. I am the self-legislator of my life. We have, let's look at this, no laws over our bodies, right? I, I thought, I kind of was apprehensive of using this uh, as an example, but it's so popular because it's very extreme. But I don't know, has anybody seen this book? It's like the uh, coffee table book. Uh, Yuval Harari, he's got this book, Homo Sapiens, sold 46 million copies, 26 languages translated into. Uh, it was New York Times bestseller for two years. He's on the board for the Economic uh, Forum, uh, government NGO. And uh, anyway, so he has this book. And this book talks about the history of Homo sapiens. Everybody loves it. It's really great. You know, Obama, a lot of people endorse it, Bill Gates. And after that, he writes another one. This is just as popular. Homo duos, a brief history of Mars. Because what do they say here? They say, cast, cast off his bonds. Nobody will have a say about my body. Well, this book is really crazy because he tells us we've been able to control hunger, famine, and war. And as we proceed, the next two things we need to overcome are death and happiness. Or what he says, I'll quote him, he says, all we need to do is have a, quote, God-like control over our bodies through biochemical engineering and cyborg engineering and making us into these future human beings. And he says, basically, everyone has a right to life, right? Without an expiration date. Death is just a technological glitch. Every glitch has got a solution, fix it. He is so confident that by 2200, at the latest, maybe 2100, we'll conquer death. I'm like, whoa, like millions and millions of people listen to this. But then he, it, the funny thing is, though, this is my wife's book. She was, she was the one who kind of showed me it, and I was reading it. Is that he's, he, you get to the end, he's like, the whole thing with happiness, no, that's another issue. We're not going to be able to solve that. You know, people are going to be unhappy. But listen to, his, listen to this quote, it, going back to where are we going. He says, though the details are obscure, to say the least, 
we can nevertheless be sure about the general direction of history. Wow. The project of humankind will be to acquire for us divine powers of creation in order to upgrade from homo sapiens into homo deus, human gods. Let us cast off the bonds from us. That's just over the body, but we can think of our social institutions. This is a hundred years ago. Uh, Fernando Pessoa, he's an essayist, and this is in his, uh, his memoir. He's writing in 1914. He's not a Christian talking about social institutions, cast off our bonds. He's kind of sad about it. We were born into the midst of moral anxiety and political disquiet. We woke up to a world eager for social innovation, a world that gleefully pursued, listen to this, a freedom it didn't grasp and a progress it never defined. Where are we going? The Brookings Institute is a political think tank, and they put out a report just kind of talking about international relations today, and it was in Harper's, and they said, you know, after, since the Soviet Union fell, we haven't seen what we're seeing right now. This is from July, and it said, the United States is entering into a superpower marathon, an economic and technology race with China that is unlikely to reach a definitive conclusion. Where are we going? The astonishment of the psalmist, before we go into the second point, is they say they're plotting in vain. That word vain could be taken as a practical emptiness. Like the deeds come to nothing. That's what, the, that's what Isaiah says. He says, I spent my strength on nothing. Because that's contrasted with what? The tree planted by the rivers of water that's bearing fruit. You know what the, where the Christian life is proved? Over the years, the faithfulness of God to produce, faith, uh, produce fruit in your life, right? You can know all the apologetic answers, the answers of all the, the different arguments, everything. But it's like, when it comes to it, it's like, I was blind, now I see. And for the last 10 years, the Lord has healed my life. He has blessed my relationships. He has given me joy when I was depressed. The psalmist says, why are they following him? The psalm talks a lot about wrath. The wrath of God will come at the end of days when he does judge. But right now, Romans tells us this is the wrath of God is revealed. He gives us over to do what we want. but there is a fruit-bearing life. So there's good news here. <laughs> Let's move on. The king's way. What is our hope? Verses two, four through nine. This is the hope. But first they said, there's no king. We are our own. The king's way. There is a king. We aren't our own. But that's good news. The hope is that we belong to him. Look at in verse four. Let's see the scene. It totally switches the mood. He who sits laughs. Nations are raging, tumultuous. Everyone's everywhere. He sits. He's unmoved by the moment, but this is the important part. Why? Because what he has done has secured what will be and has directed history to a final end. We don't have to take Yahari here. He says, we could be sure about the general direction. The resurrection we will see will show us where history is going. But he says this. Um, out of his wrath and fury, he speaks. You expect him to be like, you know, then a sword of fire and all this stuff. And all he does is, it says, he will speak to them in his fear. And he says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. Oh. Zion is in Jerusalem. 
He says, I have set. So we're asking this first. When did he set the king? What is this decree? Because he says, I will tell of the decree. The immediate context, go back, it's the coronation ceremony. But as I said, it's pushing back. What is it pushing back to? It's pushing back to the Davidic covenant. And I really want us to feel the weight of this covenant. It's an agreement, a political agreement. In the same way that in 1788, when the Constitution was ratified, it made a definitive stamp on our nation of how we will move forward in history and what will guide all our discussions up to the present. It doesn't solve everything, but it has set a course. That's what this covenant is going to be like. This covenant goes back in Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve are the first people. They say, you're not our king. We're in charge. Let it go. Here we have a huge problem. Then God shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Like the song, blessing. Then he shows up to David and says, that blessing is going to come through a king. And hear these words from Psalm, or from uh, Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, he says, I will raise up a king from your offspring. He's talking to David. And he says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And he says, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. I will tell the decree, this is my beloved son. But then remember, Israel goes into exile. Their kingdom living under another king. The question now becomes, who is the king? We're waiting for him. And all of a sudden, the book of Matthew, it starts out. Jesus, chapter 3. John's out there baptizing people and Jesus walks up. What happens? Jesus gets baptized and the father says to the question, who's the king? He quotes, this is my beloved son. Oh, an allusion to Psalm 2. Not only that, if we need to know who the king is, we need to know that he's eternal. He's got to have an eternal kingdom. He's got to conquer death. So what happens? Fast forward, Acts, Paul's preaching to the Gentiles. And you know what he says? Chapter 13, 33, he says, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm. This is my beloved son, whom I begotten. Paul says, this is the son of God. He rose from the dead. He can be an eternal king. An eternal king needs an eternal throne that sits at the end of history. It says, I know the way. Follow the king's way. I'm in charge. Okay, fast forward a little bit more. Hebrews chapter one. The writer of Hebrews, what does he say? He starts off and he says, he has ascended to the majesty, to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then he proves it. For which of the angels did he say, this is my son. And he quotes Psalm 2 again. Isn't that awesome? I love that. What's our hope? There's a kingdom coming. It says in Hebrews, it goes on, it says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay? It cannot be shaken. Rome, it's gone. It's gone. The Holy Roman Empire, it's gone. No more. Napoleon and Bismarck, they rose up. They're gone. It's done. The Third Reich, it's gone. The USSR, it's gone. They're gone. They're not here. The church of Jesus Christ, it says in the Psalms, 
The Lord sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. We just sing, I'm so happy we sang that song. What a beautiful name it is. Uh, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. People are still acknowledging the King. Stalin is gone. You might say, oh, I don't want this king. Yeah, kingdom, but maybe I don't want this king. Yes, you want this king. He delivers the needy, it says in Psalm 22. He has pity on the weak and he redeems their precious life and his throne is righteousness. This is the king that we're longing for. We are not our own. We belong to him. That's the good news. This will kind of clarify for us why the king laughs. Why is the king laughs? Thomas is astonished. You know what this reminds me of? As we try and understand, he says, you're mine. You can't just go onto someone else's property. My sister, Jackie, she's like seven years old. I got two older sisters. She's seven. Amanda is five. I'm three. We grew up in Southern Orange County, Mission Viejo. Awesome backyard. Had a hill that went up on the other side, McDonald's. That was pretty awesome. But on this hill that we played, there was... I don't know if they have it out here. I haven't seen it. These, these plants that have pampas grass, pampas grass. It looks like little like uh, paper, but it also is like sandpaper. So you get little paper cuts. Then along the side, we have these cypress trees that you could hide in as a kid. But if you get all like snagged them, it's like thistles. And it's just, it's really painful. It's fun to play in. You know, when mom and dad are there, hey, watch out, watch out. On the inside, the little peoples are scheming, plotting. Well, as every independent woman trying to make a way for herself through this world, little Jackie, she's packing her bags. I'm done with this. Let's cast off the bonds. Bedtimes, dishes, timeouts. I'm over this. Jackie, sister, it's not that bad here. Stick it out. Just couldn't stop her. She's beelining. Of course, like every wise woman looks at the front door. <laughs> Goodness, no. Every child knows out the front door. That's like off the edge of the universe. So she does what? She heads to the back. She goes to mom and dad's backyard. She stays on the property, right? It's like the people said, cast off his bonds and he possesses the earth. I'm going back. I'm going to mom and dad's backyard. It gets dark. Pampas grass, paper cuts, cypress trees, darkness. No mom and dad to tell you, watch out. Well, praise God, she came home. <laughs> but the point is, Jackie didn't understand. She didn't understand what the rules were. She didn't understand that they were to guide her. She thought being free was to be freed from constraints, to have a freedom to create her own life out there on the hill with the pampas grass. But gospel freedom is having the right constraints that empower us to be what we were made to be. Those who are loved by God and who love him. Modern freedom misunderstands as these people in Psalm 2, these words, cords and bonds. Actually, the law is called in the New Testament, a law of love and a law of liberty. The Christian heart knows that. Listen to what the Lord says in Hosea 11, talking about these bonds. It's such a beautiful passage. I encourage you to read the whole chapter 11. He says of Israel, I took them by their arms but they didn't know that I healed them. And then listen to this. I led them with cords. It's the same word, this yoke. He said, I led them with cords of kindness, with bonds of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaw. 
Remember what Dylan taught us? You got to serve somebody. You're going to wear someone's yoke. The question is, whose yoke are we wearing? Right? Then Jesus comes along and he's grieved too because we say, get this yoke off me. There is no king. Jesus says, come to me. All who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the good news, rest, not rage. You see, we're not able to bear the burden of being a God, right? We're not able to bear the burden of being our own creator and sustainer. Just social media in this last 10 years has showed us that. Trying to create and sustain who you are in the amount of depression and anxiety, this culture and generation is being crushed under the burden. He says, my yoke is easy. Why? Because it's not just that we have a king, not just that the king came, but the king says this, I will give myself to you. Remember, Paul says, it's not I who lives, but Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the King Jesus lives in me. He says, my yoke is this, I will help live through you. The King is the Lord of history. We belong to him. That's good news. What's wisdom's way as we kind of move out here? Verses 10 through 12, you know, he, he, he then addresses the leaders. He says, be wise and be warned. As you probably noticed, I didn't take this message as political as you can you know, as someone else would. You may be like, what? You know, guest speaker doesn't want to really hit it hard. Um, but, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just say this, because I want to kind of move into applying it to us, is that, you know, we recognize that the Lord has established leaders in government, secular government established by God, and we are called to bear witness to the truth. And at times that truth is represented by our will and certain policies and laws, and at times not. But we still bear witness and we still sometimes suffer. But the assumption of the witness is that we ourselves recognize the king and we can call to serve him. And we can say, kiss the king. We can say, kiss the king. So what should we do? Recognize the king and rest in his rule. What is this word? It's, it's all encapsulated, I think, in that, that kiss the king. For me, in that, it sounds like it brings together two components. We say, we recognize that he's the Lord and we love that he is. It's a combination of authority and affection. I love that he is the king. I know that we don't all have great relationships with our parents. So if, you know, listening to this, maybe this will help you to think of, maybe think of a friend who, offers this image of kissing the king or a, a, a mentor. But I was having dinner with a sweet friend of mine. He's older uh, this, this week, and his, his father is uh, about 90. And his father's having heart surgery, and we were talking about how much we love our dads. I said, I love my dad. You talk to your dad a lot? And he said, yeah, I do. I talk to him all the time. He says, it's going to be so strange when they're gone, you know? And there's something about, in a, in a parent, or maybe it's the mentor, he says, isn't it crazy? Because he's probably 60. He says, you, you call your dad, I'm 35, I call my dad, the world is raging. And, and your wife, your friend could tell you everything's going to be okay. And then I say, ah, this is going on. And then my dad says, Joe, look, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Dad said that. Dad said it's going to be okay. You ever had that? 
You recognize his authority, that he's cared for you, his, his designated role in your life that was appointed by God like a friend. And you recognize his love, that it's good. How much more the King Jesus? It's gonna be okay. He sits at the end of history and we rest in his rule. It says, blessed are those who take refuge. What does this mean? When we let go of our claim to be the queen or king of our life, we're relieved of the burden of being our creator, right? And when we let go of our desire to control history, we exchange our fear of the future for our rest in God. The refuge is that we acknowledge this. Our times are in his hands. Why are we blessed? Because when you're not the king or queen of your life, what are you? There's only one king. We're servants. We're saints. We get to serve people and love people. And our life has fruit. In conclusion, I'll just go back and say um, that poem goes on, Anne Stevenson. And she, she goes, you know, she says, the way you say the world is what you get. And then she says, the world is vaster than this alphabet. Meaning there's another language. There's not just the language screaming from the TV. There's another story. Not just the one that the person gripped by fear coming into your home at dinner is like stirring up and causing anxiety and fear. There's another alphabet, and it's this story. What the psalmist says later on a royal psalm, the Lord reigns, let the people rejoice. Amen? What is our hope? There is a king. We belong to him. So let's rest in his rule. Amen?